going on, Football MD fam? Thank you guys for tuning in to episode 12 of the Football MD podcast. I am your host, Michael Bowling, and I'm joined as always by my co host, Daniel Ronan. And we are coming to you guys today to break down the second week of NFL football. I can't believe we're already through two weeks. It already feels like it's starting to fly by. Week three is starting up tomorrow by the time that you guys are listening to this. I can't believe it, but it's been some awesome matchups so far, and I couldn't be more happy about it. Yeah, loving football being back. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I'm really excited to see where this season goes. A lot of interesting uh, pieces moving around the NFL we'll talk about in a little bit. Thanks for joining us. As always, guys, remember, check out our website. We have been doing a lot of work on the website trying to bring you guys quality content, not only for the NFL, but for your gambling and college football needs as well. Shout out to Chris Ronan and James Ruka for the College Football Corner and Sully Says pages. They've been putting in a lot of work, putting up articles every single week. So make sure you guys go and check that out. And remember to always stay up to date and recent on all the news with our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at FootballMDPod. So before we get started with week two and everything we took away from that, let's talk about a little news that's breaking around the NFL this week. We'll start with Patrick Mayholm's electric start, setting a record 10 touchdowns in the first two weeks and has no interception so far this season. He really looks legit and he's really come to play week one and week two, fresh out the gate. Yeah, definitely. The guy has looked great. I think he has the perfect storm on that offense with Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey. They're just set up to be a high-powered offense. There have been the few questionable plays that I've seen come from him, but that's to be expected. He is essentially a rookie. He only played one game last season. This is definitely someone that I was too low on going into the season, and we're going to talk about him, of course, in a little bit. But yeah, very impressive start to the 2018 season for Patrick Mahomes. Also, while we're on the topic of quarterbacks, for you Eagles fan, get excited. This week, the news broke that Carson Wentz will be your starting quarterback. Obviously, this makes them a much better team. Already, they were showing that they were picking up right back up where they left off last last year. I know they did lose to Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay has been surprising everyone throughout the league. The Eagles still look really, really good, and they're getting their franchise quarterback back this week. And the last bit of news, obviously, the big trade going from Cleveland to New England, Josh Gordon. Yeah, I love this move for the Patriots. They acquired Josh Gordon for just a fifth round pick. I think regardless of what's going on in his personal life, and of course, let's put him first as a person. I hope he is okay, and I hope he is able to work through whatever it is that he's going through. But from a football perspective, to get somebody with Josh Gordon's talent for a fifth round pick is a steal, in my opinion. And for fantasy purposes, I think his value definitely goes up. Of course, there's the questions about how long he will take to adjust to this new offense, what type of target share he will have. But again, for fantasy purposes, I would not mind selling Josh Gordon for the hype price. You know, if somebody would buy him off of you as a wide receiver one, I would have no problem taking that deal because nothing's materialized yet. We don't know how he's going to be. So if you could get that definite production by moving him, that's huge. And who I really think this is the biggest upgrade for is Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. That offense has been a little slow to start as they have in years past. But I think adding another weapon, especially alongside Gronkowski, you now have two monsters that defenses have to try and contain each game. And that's something that Tom Brady's definitely going to be able to exploit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd be very nervous. Now, 
I know New England definitely does their homework and they probably vetted the situation thoroughly, but there was news coming out that Josh Gordon was obviously looking funny around the facilities in Cleveland. That was what was kind of led to him being traded. So you don't really know what's going on there. So it is a risky time to have Josh Gordon. You don't really know what's going to really be going on. So like you said, if you can sell high on him, definitely get that done. That's a good opportunity. But realistically, if you can't get on the field, like you said, it's really going to help Tom and Gronk. You got to have playmakers, but definitely a lot of risk involved with Josh Gordon right now. And I don't know the exact details on the hamstring injury that was reported by the Browns that caused them to hold him out in week two, but Josh Gordon is cleared to play in week three. So there is a chance that we see him suited up in a Patriots uniform as soon as this weekend, which is definitely pretty exciting. You'll be able to get an idea of what to expect from him going forward. Now for Mike and I's takeaways from week two. We'll start off with Thursday Night Football from last week, Ravens at Bengals, where the Bengals routed the Ravens at home 23-34. to To me, obviously, big divisional win for the <clears throat> Bengals. That was a huge takeaway for me. And I don't think, and I don't think any less of the Ravens. Obviously, it's a tough divisional loss, but I just think the Bengals are surprising people 2-0. They look really good. A couple of my notes, obviously, to Joe Mixon injury is something to be concerned about because he looked very, very good. But I've always been a fan of Giovanni Bernard, and I think he'll step in pretty well, and I think he'll be serviceable. Now, do I think he's going to be as as good as Joe Mixon? No, I do not. I think Joe Mixon is a superior back. But I do think he'll be serviceable. And realistically, the improvement this year from last year has to be the offensive line and Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton seems to be very comfortable back there. A.J. Green will continue to thrive as long as Andy Dalton stays hot. On the Ravens side, Collins with 3.2 yards per carry is still the best on the team. So although he hasn't been really, really impressive, it seems that for now he won't lose that position because he is the most productive. But keep an eye on Jarvis Allen, five receptions per game the past two weeks. He's going to be involved in the passing game, and if they're going to be playing from behind at all, then he'll be heavily involved. Yeah, just to quickly touch on some of the guys that you just mentioned. I mean, Andy Dalton through two games. I know it's still early in the season, but he's already on pace for over 4,000 yards. He already has six touchdowns, and he's actually been looking like a quality quarterback, so that's nice to see for the Bengals' offense. A.J. Green was able to take full advantage of that with nine targets. He brought him in for five receptions, 69 yards, and three touchdowns. That was his first three-touchdown game of his career. And Joe Mixon, yeah, I'm... It's really unfortunate. I have him on a lot of my team, so I'm definitely hurting over that one. And it's looking right now, he did have the surgery, so it's looking like he will be out for two to four weeks. Uh, one week is the best case scenario that I've been hearing. Two weeks is apparently the most common. But this is also the same surgery that Sony Michelle had back in August that kept him out for just over a month. So Giovanni Bernard, definitely worth an add on your fantasy rosters. And if you do have him, he's a borderline start week in and week out with the way that that offense has been going. And Alex Collins, he's just such a frustrating player to me because the talent is clearly there. When he touches the ball, he looks like the best running back on that team. But for some reason, he's just on such a short leash. It feels like anytime he fumbles the ball or drops a pass, he immediately gets benched and Buck Allen gets his opportunity in that offense. Whereas with other higher quality running backs in the league, if, if Saquon Barkley drops a pass, they're going right back to him the next play. I'm not saying that Alex Collins is Saquon Barkley, but it's frustrating to see somebody of his talent have their upside capped so quickly anytime they make a mistake. And just a few fantasy 
relevant performances that you guys might want to keep an eye on. Tyler Boyd, nine targets, six receptions, 91 yards, and a touchdown. He's been starting over the first two weeks as the wide receiver two next to A.J. Green, and he's only run one fewer route than Green has this season, and he's actually been targeted on 50% of his routes run. There was a ton of hype on Tyler Boyd going into last season. It never really came to fruition, and I'm not yet buying into his every week viability, but he's definitely worth a speculative ad, definitely in deeper or PPR leagues, and he could also have a decent day against the Panthers in week three. And the next wide receiver that I'm pretty high on, I've been pretty high on him since the offseason, John Brown. This week he had 10 targets, four receptions, 92 yards, and a touchdown, and he almost scored another touchdown that literally the ball went right through his hands completely. That was on him, but it's nice to see that opportunity is there. I noticed that he's only owned in 24% of ESPN leagues. That number has to go up. And I know that health's always been the issue with him. But when he is on the field, he's a playmaker. And he has a clear connection with Flacco. Flacco has been looking for him. And we know that Joe Flacco is not afraid to take shots down the field, which is exactly where you'll find John Brown hanging out. I think he'll be a top 50 or so wide receiver the rest of the way with some big upside weeks. For you for sure now before we move on to the next game i have a <clears throat> quick question for you because in my notes i have i have listed the uh boyd and ross debate mm. now do you think who now who do you think season long will be the real wide receiver two for that team and going forward who's going to emerge as the better of the two and the more reliable of the two yeah, before the season started, I wanted it to be John Ross. I'm a huge fan of John Ross. I think he's a much better player than he gets credit for. But just from what we've seen so far, Tyler Boyd is clearly more involved in that offense. So I do think that John Ross may have more talent. Now, it was because of the touchdown, but Ross did have a better week one, and Boyd did have the better week two. So it, although, like you said, the targets are significantly on the on the side of Boyd and in his favor— like I said, the better week one was just John Ross. Now it was because of the touchdown, but John Ross is almost that kind of player where that's what he offers you. Exactly. I think he's the type of player where you're going to be relying on that big play every week, whereas Tyler Boyd, those targets, they're going to provide him with a safer baseline. Again, I said I'm not willing to start him week in and week out or anything like that, but I think his opportunity is going to make him the safer and more valuable player for the rest of the season. Moving on to our next game of the week, we had the Kansas City Chiefs going into Pittsburgh and and beating the Steelers 42-37. to This was definitely one of the more exciting games of the week, and as we were talking about before, I mean, Patrick Mahomes just completely blew us away. He completed 23 of 28 attempts for 326 yards and six touchdowns. Now, what's really amazing about that is the six touchdowns on just 28 attempts. That's a touchdown on every 4.7 about pass attempts. Those are Deshaun Watson-ish numbers from last season. So you can expect regression to come. But that offense is so high-powered that I don't know how much regression I would be calling for. I think this guy is legit, and I think you can lock him in as a week-to-week start for the rest of the season. The real test, though, is coming in the next few weeks. They have San Francisco at home next week, but then they go two-mile high to play the Broncos in week four, and then they have the Jaguars in week five. So that's when the real test for Patrick Mahomes will come, but at this point, I have no reason to be worried about him. One question that I do have for you before we move over to the Steelers, just to switch over to fantasy football a little bit. Obviously, Tyreek Hill, you're firing him up every week. Travis Kelsey, you're firing him up every week. Did Sammy Watkins, seven targets, six receptions, 100 yards, did that make you a little bit more optimistic about him becoming an every week starter? Because I'm personally thinking that his red zone usage is going to start to go up. I love the way that they are using him and... I think lining him up in the slot is going to continue to create some mismatches. So are you moving up on Sammy Watkins at all? 
until that offense stops scoring 40 points a game, 30 <laughs> points a game, I, I, you can play him, you know what I'm saying? You, yeah. In my opinion, there's enough to go around for everybody. For sure. Uh, now moving on to the Steelers side of the ball, Ben Roethlisberger, man. He was someone that I had locked in as a top five play this week. If you're following us on Instagram, I hope you saw that post. I hope if you had him, you weren't too down on him after his poor single-digit week one performance. The guy put up 452 yards, three touchdowns. He looked great. And for fantasy purposes, at least, this offense has just been insanely productive of course James Conner eight carries 17 yards and a touchdown combine that with catching all five of his targets for another 48 yards quick shout out to the Nick and the Dick podcast if you guys don't listen to those guys they have an extremely entertaining podcast they give awesome fantasy football insights and they run a league called the trade shame league where the winning team each week gets to send the loser a trade offer that they cannot refuse they get to protect two players on their roster Everyone else is fair game, and I just snagged up James Conner in that league, so I'm extremely excited about it. But moving on to another piece of the Steelers offense that really benefited from the game script that we were just discussing, Juju Smith-Schuster. 19 targets, 13 receptions, 121 yards, and a touchdown. This guy, I'll take the L on this one. I called for him to be a borderline bust going into the season. I think he's a borderline wide receiver one going forward. I mean, lock him in top 15 at the position. And looking back at his games, I noticed that he's actually been a top 10 wide receiver since week 15 of last year. So the guy's been doing it for a somewhat decent sample size at this point. And he's another guy just like Sammy Watkins. He benefits from playing out of the slot. And Antonio Brown requires so much attention from opposing defenses that when you have someone as talented as Juju Smith-Schuster, he's going to take advantage of his opportunity and make the most of it. Yeah, I was very impressed with Juju, and I got to say the same thing. We were both a little hesitant on him this year, but I got to say, we were definitely wrong on that one. I have, like you said, he might be a fringe wide receiver one. I have right here, he might finish as between 10 and 15th at the position. I have that he's explosive, he runs very good routes, he doesn't give up on plays, he's a high effort, high energy guy, just all positives. My notes for him really, you can't say anything negative, and that's why we should have been higher. We should have had him higher in our rankings, so anybody who has Juju, enjoy it. I don't see that changing all season. He's going to be very productive, and you're going to enjoy a solid top-end wide receiver two, bottom-end wide receiver one type production. For sure. And my last quick little fantasy takeaway from this game, one player that he's not someone that I'm looking to pick up, but he's definitely on my radar, Jesse James. He looked pretty solid in week one as far as tight ends go. This week, he caught all five of his targets for 138 yards and a touchdown, so he looked great this week. I know that they have Vance McDonald, and I loved Vance McDonald going into this season. But Jesse James looking like he's going to be a lot more involved than I initially expected. So just someone to keep on your radar, especially for such a volatile position like tight end. You might end up wanting to stream him at some point throughout the season. You're definitely going to want to keep an eye on most of the weapons in the Steelers offense because my biggest note for the game is really that the defense has been non-existent. Now, I do feel that Tomlin is a good coach, and I feel that the Steelers are known year in and year out, to put a couple dud games up, so to speak, kind of really underperform for what we expect. So if that is just what's going on here, then I wouldn't be too concerned for the Steelers. But let's not forget, the Bengals, we said, are improved at 2-0. They just beat the Ravens. And 
The Steelers have yet to grab a win. They have one tie and one loss at home where they're supposed to be very good and struggle on the road. And the real problem for them is the defense. The defense is non-existent. And if that continues, the only positive will be for fantasy because the offensive weapons we're going to have to shoot out every single game, try to outscore the other team. So we'll move right on to our next game, the Dolphins at the New York Jets, where they pulled off the 22-12 victory, setting the Dolphins up for the number one position in the AFC East by themselves at 2-0. So obviously a strong divisional win. A couple of takeaways from the game for me was to keep an eye on Wilson as the number one wide receiver there. He looks very good. Then Drake, to me, also had a positive performance with 4.8 yards per carry. That led the team and getting into the end zone. Those are the two guys I'd keep an eye on for fantasy perspectives. And I just want to say, from a team perspective, we did talk about this coming into the season that the Miami Dolphins, the last time they had Ryan Tannenhill, were a playoff caliber team. And that you kind of had to throw out what you saw last year. And really take this as a completely different team than when you saw last year. And they looked apart. They look better. Honestly, somehow, addition by subtraction, I feel they look better on defense without Nadamakong Su. I just feel the defense still looks very good. Has a bunch of playmakers along that front line. Kiko Alonso as the linebackers. I love Xavier Howard as their manned up cornerback. So if they keep this up, I think they could have a really good season. And I think there's a lot of bright outlook for the Dolphins right now. I do think that they are surprising a lot of people playing better than anyone expected them to this season. And like you said, Kenyon Drake, he definitely impressed me a little bit more this week. He had his 11 carries that he took for 53 yards and one touchdown. But what really stood out to me was catching all four of his targets for, even though it was just 17 yards, that involvement in the passing game is huge for a running back. And a lot of people were worried about Frank Gore, who still got nine carries this week, but Drake is clearly the more productive back on the Dolphins, and I think he will be a mid-to-low-end RB2 going forward. Quick shout-out to Frank Gore, by the way. He became the fourth all-time leading rusher this past weekend, so shout-out to him. Guy hasn't missed a game since 2010. You know, just a stud, long career, doing it for a long time, so shout-out to him there. One of the duds from the Dolphins side of the ball, I was really disappointed about this. I'm sorry for anyone that took my advice on this guy, but Kenny Stills, three targets, two receptions, 17 yards. I still like the talent that he possesses, but we've seen it in the past. Kenny Stills does just disappear sometimes. I know you mentioned Albert Wilson. He looked solid this year, but the guy that I'm really trying to stash right now is Devontae Parker. I think when he comes back, he's going to be able to step into the wide receiver one role on that team and and be pretty effective for not just NFL purposes, but for your fantasy teams as well. But moving right over to the Jets side of the ball now, Quincy Anunwa. This guy was extremely underrated by a lot of people going into the 2018 season, but in week one, we saw him get 10 targets that he brought in for six receptions, 63 yards, and a touchdown. And just this past weekend, he got 11 targets for seven receptions and 92 yards. So he's really showed that he's just a reliable set of hands for quarterback Sam Darnold. And he actually should have had a touchdown on Sunday. He was wide open on the right side of the end zone. He actually came down with the ball, but landed out of bounds. The ball was just thrown a little bit out of his reach. But I have him as a top 40 option at the wide receiver position going forward. I think He's pushing Robbie Anderson for the wide receiver one job. I actually have Robbie Anderson as a dud this week. He had five targets, three receptions, 27 yards. We know that the touchdown upside is there. We saw it in week one, but 
that was off just one reception that he managed to bring into the end zone. So I think that low volume and those low reception totals make him more of a risky play, whereas Quincy Inunua seems like he's just going to have that baseline. I mean, 21 targets in two weeks, that's something that I definitely look for when I'm targeting my wide receivers. Yeah, the wide receiver shakedown for the Jets is something that is definitely in my notes. There's definitely some concern regarding Robbie Anderson. You know me, I'm a, I was a big Robbie Anderson fan coming into the season and and am a Robbie Anderson owner as well. Now, I'm not panicking really because for me with Sam Darnold and for the Jets in general with a rookie quarterback, there's going to be ups and downs. So the 12 points they put up this week, they're going to struggle. Like I said, there's going to be ups and downs. I really do think there will be games, like last week, where there is more to go around and Robbie Anderson does offer you that big play. Hopefully, you did not take Robbie Anderson as your wide receiver one because he is kind of more of a high upside, you know, maybe wide receiver three, bottom end wide receiver two. But like I said, with a lot of high upside because he does offer you that big play ability. But I do agree. Anunua and Pryor look like they might be the more reliable options. And then when you talk about the running backs, to me, I think it's breaking down pretty much exactly how I expected it to go. Crowell did have a down week, it looked like, this week, and Powell looked like the better back. But Kraut did still lead the team in yards per carry average. So it seems that the bulk of the run game will roll through him as long as he keeps that up. And Powell delivered on the expected PPR upside with five receptions for 74 yards and a touchdown versus week one where he was one reception for five yards, obviously bringing a lot of pause and concern because he was drafted as a guy who has a lot of PPR upside. Well, don't worry. This week he seemed to deliver on that, and obviously you'll imagine with the productivity that that will continue going forward. The Jets definitely do seem like they're heading in the right direction. And just to swing back around to the running backs real quick, you mentioned how Isaiah Crowell has the running game, the first and second down work on luck. I mean, Bilal Powell had just five carries for just six yards this past week. So I think their roles are pretty clearly defined for fantasy purposes. At this point, I would rather have Bilal Powell, especially in PPR leagues, just for that baseline and involvement that he has in the passing game. But moving on to our next game of the week, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who beat the Philadelphia Eagles 27-21. to Before we move over to the Buccaneers side of the ball, who just had a great day for all pass catchers involved, let's take a look at some of the Eagles players. Of course, Jay Ajayi missed all but two plays of the first half with a back injury. He did return and score a touchdown, which kind of saved you your week. But while he was out, Corey Clement, I mean, he had six carries, 30 yards, one touchdown, six targets, five receptions, 55 yards. He definitely benefited from Ajayi leaving the field. And I know that Sproles was inactive, but I think just today the Eagles signed another running back from their practice squad. So things may not be looking too good for Darren Sproles to return, which I think opens the window for one, Ajayi to get a little bit more work, and Corey Clement to be that much closer to opportunity. As you guys know, he was one of my sleeper picks going into this season, so I do like to see that. And Nelson Aguilar, this guy is really benefiting from Alshon Jeffrey not being in the lineup. He had 12 targets, 11 receptions, 94 yards, and one touchdown. Mike Wallace also left this game with an ankle injury. I don't know the details on that just yet, but it's potentially season-ending from what I've heard. and. As long as we're unsure of when Alshon Jeffrey returns, Mac Collins is on IR, I think Aguilar should be a safe play going forward with top 30 wide receiver upside. You talked about Clement. That's where I'll start because I was really impressed. I was definitely sold on him after this week. Five yards per carry average, best on the team, two weeks in a row. 
And then he had five reception for 55 yards, a total of 100 all-purpose yards and a touchdown. So to me, he looked like the best back also as the, with the eye test. He's a little bit – he is more explosive, in my opinion, than JHI. He'll offer you that bigger playability. He is faster. He has some home run speed. He is agile. He can get the corner. I really like his game. The one concern, though, that I would say with for Corey Clement and that involvement in the passing game is the return of Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is an elite quarterback and – has the better ability to get the ball down the field better so than Nick Foles, in my opinion. Not that I'm saying it's definitely going to happen, but I'm just saying keep an eye on it because Carson Wentz's ability to extend the play, get out of the pocket, and get the ball down the field might leave Clement as not used as often as he is right now with Nick Foles as quarterback. And one of my main concerns for Jay Ajayi is that Doug Peterson may want to continue with this committee approach as Ajayi, he's had his injury issues in the past and he may truly struggle to handle a full workload. So when you have an option like Clement, let's say Sproles does come back, why not get those guys involved if your offense can continue to be productive without just force feeding the ball through one guy? So that's another concern I have. Last person to talk about on the Eagles offense, of course, Zach Ertz. He's a stud. Does it every week. Not much to say there. He's going to do it with or without Carson Wentz, but it is nice to see that he's going to have his starting quarterback back behind center. But to move over to the Buccaneers side of the ball, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he continues to light it up. Completed 27 of 33 for 402 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. It's really hard to imagine him losing the job at this point, especially if they go 3-0, and which is definitely possible as they're going up against a very beatable Steelers defense this coming week who just let up six passing touchdowns to Patrick Mahomes. And for fantasy purposes, I'm honestly at the point where I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is worth considering to be a starter in your lineup. The team cannot run the ball and they have a ton of passing options and he's proven that he can hit people deep. He's been accurate. So I don't see why you wouldn't at least consider streaming him, especially this coming week if you don't have anyone else. Yeah, the Bucks are definitely better than expected. And my real question is, for both the Bucks and for Ryan Fitzpatrick is can they sustain what they have going on right now? That'll be interesting to see because they, I think they took us all by surprise. And the other storyline to me that stands out is Rojo, healthy scratches week one and week two. I know that the coach was down on him and the team is down on him, but in my opinion, you're not getting enough running back production to begin with. Why not give him a chance at a live look? I don't understand why. The, they drafted him in the second round, so they obviously invest a lot of capital in him. I think it'll be worth it to see at least what he can offer you. Yeah, and Peyton Barber, I think he's averaging under 2.5 yards per carry. So I don't know how much worse it could be or what reasons they have for not giving him his shot, but the real bright side of the Buccaneers offense is their pass-catching weapons who are benefiting from this newfound high-powered offense apparently we saw Mike Evans with 10 receptions 83 yards and a touchdown Deshaun Watson caught all four of his targets for 129 yards and a touchdown Chris Godwin caught five of his six targets for 56 yards and a touchdown and then OJ Howard caught three of his four targets for 96 yards and a touchdown OJ Howard is the one standout here for me I know those other pass catching options they did great but OJ Howard is a must stash in my opinion I know he's available on a lot of waiver wires and Fitzgerald may not utilize him consistently but OJ Howard is the type of athlete that does have top five upside if he does start getting that involvement in the offense and we know that Jameis Winston if he does take that job back Winston historically targets the tight end a lot more frequently than Fitzgerald has so I think that's a player with just way too much upside to be sitting on waiver wire. So if you have the roster space or if you're wasting it on these lackluster tight ends week in and week out, I think you can do a lot worse than O.J. Howard. Moving on now to the next game of the week where the Saints hold on at home 
against the Browns, 18-21. to To me, for the Browns, I just reiterate what I thought last week. You just got to start Baker. You, you got to start the guy who gives you that upside in close games, and they might go win you this game. Now, that being said, obviously, can you really put this on Tyrod Taylor when, you know, five kicks are missed in the game between field goals and extra points? And so it just... Yeah, I don't really think you can put a loss like that on Tyrod Taylor. I don't think that's really fair to say. I'm not saying that he was not good enough or he was lackluster. But I just really do feel like in these tight games, he just might give you that will. He might give you that momentum. So to me, Star Baker and really Hyde is not impressing me in the in that backfield. He's under three yards per carry in both weeks. And Chubb only has three and two carries, but he is averaging seven yards per carry and actually has seven yards per carry every time he touches the ball he has had a seven yard rush so although he's not really getting the usage he's looks moderately productive so i think if high doesn't run away with that position eventually chubb's workload will increase and the pass catcher to own in my opinion for the for the browns will be callaway his Physical ability is a little bit better than the other wide receivers on that team. And he offers a lot of high upside with Gordon not there anymore. Lastly, for me with the Browns, I just want to say the Steelers and Saints are two very good teams. And they should be able to find a win, in my opinion, if they continue to play the way they're playing now against a lesser team in the NFL. So I just wanted to note that they did have two solid performances against two teams that we've, we would consider playoff caliber teams in the NFL. Definitely a pretty exciting time to be a Browns fan. They do play the New York Jets next week, so maybe they finally do get that first victory. And I do differ from you a little bit in the pass catcher to own for the Cleveland Browns. I like Rashard Higgins just a little bit more. He caught five of his seven targets for just 47 yards, but I like the opportunity that he's seeing in the offense. Antonio Callaway only saw four targets. He brought in three of them, which is great, but he had 81 yards and one touchdown. A lot of that came from a huge 47-yard play that skewed his stats just a little bit, and that is just the type of player that he is. As you said, he provides that massive upside that you love to see. I think both of these guys are worth a waiver add, and each could certainly provide some value for you on any given week. But moving over to the Saints side of the ball, I mean, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, these guys are just incredible. Alvin Kamara, 12 carries for 46 yards, but then he added six receptions for 53 yards. And I heard some people saying that he was coming back down to earth this week, which if that's him coming back down to earth, a near 20-point fantasy game. I mean, that's something I'll take on my team any day of the week. I think right now he's locked in as a top three option at the position. But I will say for the Saints as a whole, I think that Ingram coming back is going to be extremely beneficial for that offense. Kamara runs the ball fine. He's very difficult to bring down. But I think that Ingram is a weapon on the ground that provides a different aspect for that offense that Kamara just doesn't offer at this time. Yeah, obviously you touched on Kamara. He's pretty much a human highlight reel. You pretty much covered it. So I don't really need to go into that. Michael Thomas, though, is really looking like he will compete for the wide receiver one position this year. He might be the best wide receiver right now in, in the NFL. 28 receptions in the past two weeks. That is a NFL record for two weeks in the, in the NFL. He has three, And he has three touchdowns in two games. Obviously, like you said, Mark Ingram coming back, that's promising. But we know about the offense. The defense, however, just want to know, did look very improved this week much like we expected it to be. Obviously, the naysayers will say it's the Browns and they should have looked a lot better than they did anyway. And you might be right, but it is a 
better performance to build off of, and that's all you could hope for. So going forward, I wouldn't panic with the Saints. We're still trusting them as of now. But like we did say, it is worth trying to have a contingency pl- plan in place at this point. And that's the exact reason why we like to stream defenses or at least wait to draft your defense. And just one more player that I wanted to talk about from the Brown side of the ball. I kind of forgot about him, but you were talking about Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb. Duke Johnson, he only had two receptions and 10 total yards in week two. The guy has just 11 touches through the first two weeks of the season. I think at this point, even in PPR formats, I don't know if it's worth even rostering Duke Johnson. He just has not been involved in that offense. There's other mouths to feed. So maybe consider moving on from him if there's somebody on waivers that you would like to pick up. But moving on to our next game, we had the Indianapolis Colts heading over to Washington where they won 21-9. The Colts offense, it looked okay in this game. Honestly, Andrew Luck looked kind of mediocre. He had just 31 attempts for 171 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He really didn't have to do too much in this game. The Redskins didn't really put too much pressure on him. T.Y. Hilton was one of the bright spots of the Colts offense. 11 targets, 7 receptions, 83 yards, 1 touchdown. He now has 11 targets and 1 touchdown in each of the first two games this season. He's looking like the 2016 version of Hilton that we saw when Luck was healthy. So that's definitely great to see. And as far as the Colts backfield goes... I mean, it's just looking like a complete timeshare in my opinion. Marlon Mack had 10 carries for 34 yards. Wilkin had 10 carries for 61 yards. Naeem Hines found the end zone. And this is somewhat what I expected. I mean, Frank Reich, he's coming from the Doug Peterson coaching tree. Hines is kind of playing the Darren Sproles role. Marlon Mack is kind of the Jay Ajayi role. And Wilkins is kind of in the Corey Clement role. So I'm really not confident in starting any of those guys at this point. Any one of them can have their week. I know Wilkins was somebody that I was high on going into this season. I still think he is the back two own there, but he's not somebody that I'd be confident starting in any matchup this season as of right now. Yeah, for me, I definitely do think he is the guy to have, though. He does have, he did have 2.9 yards per carry, which leaves some to be desired in week one. But in week two, he did have 6.1 yards per carry. So very productive on his touches in week two. In my opinion, that'll garner you more carries, more opportunity going forward. And if he keeps up that production, then Hines, who is not very productive on a per reception or a per carry basis, will definitely, in my opinion, be fizzled out in the long run. Oh, and how could I forget? Eric Ebron found the end zone again. One of my uh, sleeper picks going into this season. But I will say, I said it last week, don't buy too much into this. He only played 17 snaps while Jack Doyle played 58 with especially at the tight end position, you want someone that's going to be on the field. So I do think that Doyle is the tight end to own as of right now. But Ebron could be a weekly matchup play streamer at the position. And just another reminder to you guys, when you're evaluating the value of a player, make sure you're looking at snap counts. Don't just look at the box score because that really doesn't paint the whole picture. Ebron had one nice play that made his week, but Jack Doyle was more involved even though the production wasn't necessarily there. Well, I actually watched this game in detail, and my notes on Ebron were actually the fact that he did come in most often inside the red zone in a two-tight end set. So being that, yes, he did have a limited snap count, but it seems to be in the position where you want him in in the game. He has a high opportunity to get touchdowns, score points, and yeah, that makes him a little touchdown dependent, like you said, which is a little unreliable, but... It does offer some upside on a guy who you probably didn't have to draft early or if at all, a guy that you could probably pick up on the waiver wire sometimes. So definitely 
his usage is very calculated, which is nice to see. Yeah. For me as a whole, I was surprised by the Colts' defense, letting up no touchdowns. That's obviously a positive performance. And two games with tw over 20 points by the offense. Obviously, we know what Andrew Luck is bringing you. He makes T.Y. Hilton reliable. He makes that offense a little bit more reliable. And, of course, three interceptions in two games. It seems that he's shaking off a bit of rust, which is to be expected when you are out of football for as long as he was. But, in my opinion, when I watch him, he does look like he can still make all the throws that he was making before the injury. And he looks, and he looks very capable. Like I said, just has to shake off some rust, and he can return to form. So that's a positive for the Colts. Sitting at 1-1 one and one, could compete in that division. And now moving over to the Redskins side of the ball. Chris Thompson was the lone bright spot on the Redskins offense this past week. 14 targets, 13 receptions, 92 yards. He only has 66 yards rushing, but he's added 150 yards through the air throughout the first two games of the season. And I'm honestly surprised by the amount of work that he's been receiving compared to Adrian Peterson, but he's the clear top target for Alex Smith, and he's a must-start as long as he's healthy. But moving on to the rest of the Redskins offense, which was not nearly as exciting, Alex Smith, 292 yards, no touchdowns. Adrian Peterson, 11 carries, 20 yards. It kind of felt like the Redskins game-scripted him out of the game before it was even necessary. He still could have been utilized, but the utilization was just not there this week, and Going forward, I think he's going to be more of a volume play. If he's not getting that volume, he's not going to be productive for your fantasy teams. And as far as the pass catchers go for Washington, I really can't argue for rostering any of them. They weren't getting good separation, which is clearly what Alex Smith looks for if you look at how he's played throughout his career. The Redskins offensive line was providing very little protection up front. Smith was getting pressured by the Colts defense, which Dan said did look pretty good this week. But let's be real, it's still the Colts defense. It's if you can't stop the Colts defense, you're going to run into some trouble when you see some tougher matchups down the line. And a big takeaway from this, a huge blow to the Redskins, was their left tackle, Trent Williams. He left the game. I'm not 100% sure what the details are on his injury, but that's a huge impact on that offensive line. He's the type of player that if he's not lining up with them next week, I'm going to have a lot less comfort starting any of those players. Oh, Trent Williams is one of the better offensive linemen in the NFL, so that is definitely something to keep an eye on, and a pause for concern. Also, Peterson, for me, really unimpressive. 1.8 yards per carry is not going to get it done. Someone is going to push him for touches, or obviously, like you said, Chris Thompson, super productive. Week 1, 6 receptions, 63 yards. And week 2, 13 receptions for 92 yards. Just real, real production. The only guy you really want to own for the Washington Redskins, in my opinion. And so we'll move right on to the next game of the week, Chargers at Bills, where they dominated 31-20. to They got out to an early lead and maintained that lead. For me, my notes for the Chargers, Phillip Rivers had a positive performance. Again, Gordon might challenge for the number one running back position this year. He has been super productive, involved in the passing game, like anticipated. And to me, Mike Williams looks promising. He has been found his way into the end zone and although he hasn't gotten a lot of volume in my opinion the plays that he's making are pretty good plays and they've been in good situations 25 plus points per week obviously that's good for the chargers and for fantasy owners but surprisingly the, the defense has let up 20 plus points in both weeks now you're talking about the bills this week that's kind of scary you, you don't want to give up too many points to a 
offense that really doesn't scare you and the Ravens last week held to no touchdowns. So we were very high on the Chargers defense and that's something that you were going to want to keep an eye on because it doesn't seem like they're offering you that production just yet. I agree the Chargers defense is definitely something to keep an eye on. As you mentioned, Mike Williams has looked solid to start the season. He's really continued with what we saw in the preseason, and he's been flashing the talent that we know that he was drafted to provide. So I think as of right now, he's worthy of a weekly flex consideration, and he's still available on a lot of waiver wires, so make sure you guys are looking for him. Of course, Melvin Gordon is a stud, but the other running back on the Los Angeles Chargers, Austin Eckler, 11 carries, 77 yards, three targets, three receptions, 21 yards. He looked really good with the opportunity that he was given, and it makes sense for him to be more involved if it's working for the offense and to preserve Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon had a little bit of an injury in this game. We know that he's had a slight injury history in the past, so if you have another productive running back, especially one that can be used in the passing game, why wouldn't you use him? And he's another guy, especially in PPR formats, that you might want to look towards rostering. But moving over to the Bills side of the ball, really not much to cover here, especially from a fantasy perspective. But LaShawn McCoy, he had that rib injury in the third quarter, and it looks like he's probably going to miss at least a game or two. I think they're saying that he fractured his ribs, so I'm not sure how long he's going to be out for. And I would not jump to go sign Chris Ivory to my fantasy roster. They are playing the Vikings in Week 3, so really no fantasy viability there. Yeah, congratulations to the Bills for single-handedly being the only team pushing the Browns for last place. They have looked awful, in my opinion, and I'm sorry to say that. We usually try to be very positive here at Football MD, but I just, anyway, shake it, they look very bad. So I hope Sean McDermott, who I do believe is a good coach, he was with the Carolina Panthers for a long time, and as a Falcons fan, he frustrated me with his defensive scheming and play calling. He's a very good coach, so hopefully he gets it figured out, but the Bills just do not look very promising for me. There's not many bright spots, so there's not much to cover with him. I honestly thought you were going to say congratulations to the Buffalo Bills for single-handedly ending Vontae Davis's career. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I don't even want to talk about that. That's yeah, disrespectful. We're, we're not going to get into it. shameful. So we'll move right on to the Vikings and the Packers. Second show, tie of the season. Show, showdown in, in Green Bay. Obviously tied 29-29. This is going to be interesting. Down the stretch, this, their rematch later on this season is going to be is going to be very interesting, but we'll start with the Viking side of the ball. To me, I hate to say this, but I have to ask for somebody who am very, is very high on Cook, and I am ne- I will never abandon him. I think he is a top-tier guy, but I think the question does have to be asked, is he catching a little too much hype? He has not been very productive with his touches this season, and that is a pause for concern, especially because Kirk Cousin looks absolutely way better than advertised he's accurate he's making plays he has a lot of talent around him they could be one of the top teams in the NFL and like I said because of this Thielen and Diggs Thielen week one six for 102 week two 12 for 131 and one touchdown Diggs three for 43 one touchdown in week one Diggs week two nine for 128 and two touchdowns just Plenty of plenty to go around with the scoring there, and they're getting it done in the passing game. So Cook isn't really being needed right now, but I I am concerned because he has not been as productive as I know that I was hoping. I had him, and I know a lot of people have him in the first round. And if you took him that high, then 
you're looking for that top production that he's not offering you right now. Yeah, it is still early in the season, so I wouldn't hit the panic button on Cook just yet, but it definitely is pretty concerning. And I had Kirk Cousins as my fifth-ranked quarterback going into this year, and for some reason, he's still surprising me. I don't know why. I should have been expecting this if I had him ranked that high. But this is the second straight week of solid performances for both pass catchers on that offense. That passing game in Minnesota just looks electric. Even Kyle Rudolph, he went from catching one of two targets in week one to catching seven of eight targets in week two. That high volume might not always be there, but it is nice to see that he has that upside that he was drafted to have for your fantasy teams. But overall, the Vikings, they just look like a really good team. So I mean, surprise, the Vikings are good. Hmm. But moving on to the Packers side of the ball, Big takeaway here is that Aaron Rodgers does not need two legs to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but I think it was noticeable that he was hampered by that injury. However, you couldn't really tell from Devontae Adams' stat line, 12 targets, 8 receptions, 64 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, the guy, we know what type of player he is. He's the clear number one for Aaron Rodgers. Touchdown typically saves his day, but he's seeing more opportunity than he has over the last two seasons. He's currently on pace for 160 targets, 104 receptions, and over 1,000 yards. Those are numbers that he hasn't even gotten close to. And I know it's only two games, but it is nice to see him be that involved in the offense with hopefully a full season of Aaron Rodgers ahead of him. Yeah, to me, the, my notes on, their, on the wide receiver shakedown in Green Bay, I have that obviously Aaron Rodgers offers you enough upside on a per-game basis that he can sustain two productive pass catchers in any given game. So as you see in this week, Geronimo Allison, Jimmy G also had positive productive weeks. Not obviously amazing, but definitely should have been in your lineup type of weeks. Well, Jimmy Graham, I know this is someone that you were extremely high on and might knock against him was that he wasn't going to get that volume. But we saw this past week, he had eight targets, six receptions and 95 yards. He didn't even have a touchdown that I said he was going to be so dependent on. And he actually did have a touchdown pass called back due to a holding call. So he had a big week regardless. He would have had a monster week if he did have that touchdown. And if he continues to get that type of volume... He could be really exciting for fantasy rosters going forward. Well, that's the thing with Aaron Rodgers, though. Being that Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, you don't know who it's going to be week in and week out. So my notes actually say that Allison, Graham, and Cobb are fighting on a per-game basis for that secondary productive game behind Adams. Every game, you're probably going to get two productive wide receivers or pass catchers in that offense, as long as Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback's. One being Adams, he seems like the number one target, but then the other three will fight for that game in and game out, which will be nerve-wracking if you're playing any of those players. But also, when you hit on one of those plays, it'll be well worth it. And one thing that we definitely have to touch on before we move on is the Green Bay Packers run game. Jamal Williams, he has not looked great at all. And pass blocking is the only thing that I think is going to keep him on the field now that Aaron Jones is returning. Aaron Jones, in my opinion, after seeing Williams play for these first two weeks, Jones is clearly the most talented running back on that team. But my only concern there is, especially with Aaron Rodgers' injury, do they trust Aaron Jones in pass protection? Because they got to keep Aaron Rodgers upright. He's already injured. He can't be taking hits. That's where Jamal Williams might be able to stay on the field. But I think in due time, Aaron Jones is going to be someone that you're going to want on your roster. I know I have him on the bench in a couple of my leagues, and I still see him available on some waiver wires. So make sure you guys are on the lookout for him. He could be a great stash to uh, boost your running back core going forward. And my last note on the Packers is about their defense, because I'm kind of crushing on them a little bit. Their 
Front seven has been good. They continue to be that this year. They are a top run defense in the NFL again. And I'm a very big fan of their rookie cornerback duo in Jackson and Alexander. I think, obviously, with two rookie cornerbacks starting, there will be some ups and downs and some growing pains. But I do think they are both going to be two very good cornerbacks in the NFL. And as the season goes on, I think that defense will only get better. And if that defense is able to play good, solid, complimentary football, that obviously will help Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need much help. But if you give him so a little bit, you're looking at a Super Bowl. So if they can put it together and if they can be that kind of unit, that is what the Packers' outlook could be this season because Aaron Rodgers is that good and all he needs is a little bit of help. And now moving on to the Falcons. And pa- actually, let's not forget, the Vikings just signed kicker Dan Bailey. So if you're someone like me that's changing up kickers every week and trying to get more than five points out of that position and it's extremely frustrating every week, maybe go take a look at Dan Bailey. That could be a nice ad. little side note there. But to move on, Falcons, they beat the Panthers 31-24. to And Matt Ryan honestly looked great. He completed 23 of 28 passes, 272 yards, two touchdowns, only one interception. He has a strong matchup coming up next week against the Saints where I think, at least for fantasy purposes, he could put up a really nice stat line for you. I'm pretty in on Matt Ryan after a week one where I wasn't so sure about how he was going to be going forward. So that was pretty cool to see. And then, of course, the big thing to take note of, the Devonta Freeman injury. It looks like he's expected to miss two to four weeks. He re-aggravated an injury from all the way back in November, so that's definitely concerning. And until he does return, Coleman is in must-start territory. He had four receptions, 125 yards from scrimmage, and we know the type of player that Coleman is. He provides stable fantasy value when Freeman is in the lineup, but in the games that Coleman has played without Freeman, he averages 19.5 touches, 4.89 yards per carry, and over 14 fantasy points per game. So until Freeman comes back, and even after, there is a chance that Coleman is going to be in that stardom every week territory. Yeah, obviously, as a Falcons fan, you guys know I didn't miss this game, and I broke it down. They looked much better than they did in Week 1. Obviously, at home, you would expect that. So so obviously, you want to see what they look like when they get back on the road. You will not see that this upcoming week. They will be still at home this week against the Saints. But for me, Ridley shows up and looks good. He was finally looked comfortable getting open. And when he had the ball in his hand, he's electric. He is definitely a playmaker. The red zone touchdowns is obviously a huge takeaway for that offense because it's something that hasn't been there for them. So that was definitely a plus. Obviously none for Julio, but Matty Ice's two rushing touchdowns were great. One of them was right on the goal line. The other one was from about five yards out and showed a lot of lot of effort there. He kind of like dove into the end zone, got stuffed, and still pressed forward and got into the end zone. So I like that. Like you said, Tevin Coleman without Devonta Freeman is the man. You know me, I've always advocated that Tevin Coleman is the best running back on Atlanta, and when Freeman is not there, he is always super productive, so count on him going forward. And then from the defensive side of the ball, I want to say that DeMonte Kaze hit, that was completely uncalled for on Cam Newton, and I'm hoping that that is just a young player mistake, and it was not some kind of some kind of targeting pers- purposeful hit. And it was just like kind of an accident. But the bright side for the Falcons defense was Duke Riley, Duke Riley and Devondre Campbell really stepped up huge without Deion Jones there, which was really good to see being that Jones will be out for at least six weeks on IR. So I was really worried about the Atlanta defense. And it looks like with these two guys stepping up, if they continue to play as good as they did 
last week that they will at least be okay for now until Deion Jones gets back. And just some quick notes on the Panthers' offense. Christian McCaffrey had his eight carries for 37 yards, but then 15 targets, 14 receptions, and 102 yards. It looks like with Greg Olson not in the lineup, Christian McCaffrey's workload is definitely going to increase. And again, if you have been following us on Instagram, you have seen my stat of the day on Devin Funches, and he definitely saw his role expanded without Greg Olson in the lineup. He went from three to seven receptions and 41 to 77 yards. And that's something that we've seen historically throughout their time being on the Panthers together. When Greg Olson is not playing, Devin Funches, he is essentially a glorified tight end. So he steps into that role nicely and he becomes one of Cam Newton's favorite targets. So definitely someone that should be on your radar going forward. Yeah, for me, Carolina, Devin Funches, like you said, you nailed it. Without Greg Olson has been very good. The unfortunate part about the Carolina offense is that Cam Newton is still the number one rusher on the team. Although he did have three passing touchdowns and one interception this week, so although a very productive passing performance, he still remains their number one rushing option, which I don't think he has to be. McCaffrey, like you said, very productive on his passing attempts, seven and a half yards per catch and six receptions in week one and 14 in week two. But he also has 4.8 yards per carry, and the problem is he's just not getting many rushing attempts. So I just think they should give him more attempts. He It's not that he's not being productive with 4.8 yards per carry that is obviously very productive. Give it to him on first and second down, and you got a first down. Like You know what I'm saying? That's exactly what you're looking for in the NFL. Five yards per carry is a dream. So being at 4.8, I don't understand why he doesn't get more carries, and I think they should give him the opportunity to do so. But it doesn't look like they're going to be. Now moving on to an AFC South matchup. The Tennessee Titans beat the Houston Texans 20-17, to and I'm honestly not sure how the Titans pulled this one off. They did not look great, aside from Blaine Gabbert being their quarterback. I mean, the running game, Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry, they really couldn't get anything going. They combined for 32 carries for just 98 yards. And I will say, despite the down game for the Titans as a whole, it was without Marcus Mariota, so I'm not buying too much into it. But definitely a good win on their part, so congratulations to the Tennessee Titans. Not much fantasy relevance over there. Corey Davis still saw his seven targets, five receptions, 55 yards. Not a great week, but he is the clear top target in that offense, especially with Delaney Walker gone. Yeah, not much to touch on in what was a very underwhelming game, but one of my notes was that Bayer, the safety, is obviously the man throwing a touchdown pass this oh, yeah. week. And the defense... They might want to consider starting him at quarterback next week. Mariota's not back. Yeah, honestly, Gabber and Mariota both are not impressing, so you might be right about (laughs) that. But also, also the other thing to keep an eye on for me is the 30 plus carries between Henry and Lewis. To me, obviously, if you're going to be running the ball over 30 times, that's enough to sustain two productive running backs, so there's no reason why they both can't be owned. Obviously, you would like to see a little bit more production from Derrick Henry because obviously you'd like to see a little bit more production from Derrick Derrick Henry being that he was being drafted a little higher than Deion Lewis. But at least now we're starting to see the opportunity come to fruition. So maybe if if he gets on track, he could take that opportunity and run away with it. On the other side of the ball for the Texans, again, not much to cover because it wasn't a really overwhelming game. But Hopkins and... Fuller did look really good. To me, though, the storyline is that the defense looks very underwhelming. J.J. Watt has yet to show up really in any big fashion, which is a surprise because he usually does so 
early and often. And likewise, the offense to me has been underwhelming with Deshaun Watson un- under the helm. He was better in week two than in week one, but he hasn't really been impressing. Just like you said, the regression with him, and obviously we're seeing it come to fruition now. Yeah, just from the eye test alone, I know Deshaun Watson threw for 310 yards and two touchdowns this week, but he's been making some really questionable decisions, and I think a lot of it comes from that horrible offensive line. You've heard our offensive line specialist, Mike Bowe, talk about this um, earlier in the preseason, but we really saw it come to fruition in week two. Deshaun Watson was sacked four times, and... I'm honestly concerned that he might not make it through the season with that offensive line. He was under pressure the entire game, so that's highly concerning. And it affects Lamar Miller as well. He had 14 attempts for 68 yards. He did add two receptions, but he only gained two yards off of that opportunity. And I think his volume will give him value. But again, that offensive line is just tough to get productive behind. And the only bright spot that I found on the Texans offense this week was Will Fuller, who caught eight of nine targets for 113 yards and one touchdown. And in the games that he's played with Deshaun Watson, he has 21 receptions, 392 yards, and eight touchdowns. He really does dominate when Deshaun Watson is on the field. And those eight receptions, that's not something that you can just ignore. He's not just getting it done on one play. He has the volume to provide a safe baseline. So that's definitely something you'd like to see. Will Fuller, I think he is becoming an every week start. But again, that offense is just not one that I can really get behind to trust going forward. Absolutely. So we'll move right on to the Cardinals against the Rams. Speaking of scary offenses to get behind. Yeah, so exactly. So 34 nothing. Rams hold Cardinals, score us, shut them out in this one. And honestly, the Cardinals just need to be better. They're so bad right now that you're honestly very worried about even the top tier guy like David Johnson. The offense is just not producing and the defense is just the defense is not bad. They haven't been great, but really to me it's because they're not getting complimentary football. The offense is not putting them in good positions and in turn they're not getting a lot of help. If they had the help, they might be a better unit than they are right now. So I really do think a lot of their problems are stemming from that offensive side of the ball. They're just really underwhelming. They're not really performing very well. They've actually scored less points over their first two games than 10 other NFL teams have averaged per quarter. They actually, in this past week, they didn't cross the 50-yard line until the final minute of garbage time in that game. So obviously, if you're not passing the 50-yard line, that kind of makes it impossible to score. And Sam Bradford, I mean, the guy passed for 90 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. He currently has the worst passer rating in the NFL. And that's what he's supposed to do. That's why he's right. He was he had like the record for the most the best passer rating like two years ago. Exactly. And I mean, he also provides no rushing threat. He's a pretty one dimensional quarterback. So the defenses, they don't have to set a QB spy on him. So there's essentially an extra man in the box, which is having a huge impact on David Johnson. He had 13 carries for 48 yards. But the big storyline here is just two targets for one reception. In 2016, he ran 31 routes per game. Right now, he's running 16 routes per game. And in week two, we saw Chase Edmonds actually get more targets than David Johnson did. So I don't know what this offense is doing. We saw two years ago with Todd Gurley how on a bad offense with bad play calling, how drastically that can affect a player. And it's looking like that's what we have right now. And unfortunately, I think if you have David Johnson on your fantasy team, you just have to hold on to him because no one is going to trade you the value that you're looking for. And... He still is a talented player. David Johnson has not changed. It's just the situation that he's in. So you have to just hold on to him for now and really hope for the best, even though he's completely being misused, in my opinion. 
unless, of course, somebody is willing to give you that upside, they are willing to give you a fair trade on that, then definitely consider it because it is something that we are concerned about it not being able to change. There's not much they can do. We don't feel that a quarterback change, which is obviously eventually going to happen down the line if this continues, Rosen will come in. But I'm not exactly certain that that'll be the that'll be exactly what the team needs and that'll cure all their everything that they need need fixed. So realistically, I just don't know if they're going to be able to get this fixed. And that's what concerns us for the long run. Yeah, If you could get Kareem Hunt for David Johnson right now, would you do that? Absolutely. I think I, I, think I would in a heartbeat, yeah. Um, but who would do that? If, who would give up <laughs> Kareem Hunt for that? I, I would hope not. I mean, like, so basically, if you find that guy who's willing to give you an RB1 for DJ, who arguably might not be an RB1 this year, definitely do that. For sure. And then, of course, this poor offense, it also falls over onto Larry Fitzgerald. He had just five targets, three receptions, 28 yards. He left the game with a hamstring injury, but he is expected to play in week three, which, again, he's another player. Hopefully this offense can get something going and you can start getting a little bit more value out of Larry Fitzgerald. But this whole offense is really in trouble going forward. But moving on to the other side of the ball, which is quite a bit more exciting, we have the Rams with Todd Gurley, 19 carries, 42 yards, three touchdowns. He also added three receptions for another 31 yards. And he did leave the game with cramps, but we saw him laughing on the sidelines, so there's really nothing to be worried about there. Todd Gurley's a savage. Lock him in every week as if you need me to tell you to do that. Some solid analysis there. And then Brandon Cooks who's, again, this is another player that's really shoving my preseason projections of him right in my face. Nine targets, seven receptions, 159 yards. He piqued my interest in week one when he had eight targets. Keep in mind, Sammy Watkins saw just eight targets one time last season. But then he had another nine targets this week, and I'm sold on him. He had a great game and a tough matchup against Patrick Peterson, and he seems like he's in line for another top 12 finish. Yeah, the whole offense obviously looks really good. I don't have to touch on it much, like you said, Gurley. Absolutely amazing. They're literally, what they're doing is sitting him at the end of games because you just don't need him. They're winning by so much. That's honestly going to cap what could be a historical season for him. Like, he really could give you historic fantasy numbers, but like the Rams aren't just not, obviously, they're not concerned about fantasy stats. So they're going to do what's best for the team, and that's keeping him as healthy as possible for this year and going forward. So limiting his touches when they're up a lot is the smart move on their part, but it's going to be frustrating for fantasy owners when, yeah, obviously he gave you three touchdowns, but he was done in the third quarter. You know what I'm saying? He could have given you four. He could have definitely <laughs> right. given you four in that game. Um, but that's just being a little picky and uh, a little greedy. Little greedy points, yeah. But, but Goff fair. has just too many weapons. Um, 30 points in both weeks. Obviously, that's good for the team and for fantasy. And that means that there should be plenty to go around for Cooks, Woods, and Cup. Any two of them in a given week, a solid production. And what makes them really scary and arguably the best team in the NFL is that their defense looks just as good. They had no points let up, obviously held the Cardinals to the big zero, the big donut. And then in week one, only allowing one touchdown, so... Their defense is playing out of this world as well, so that makes them a very scary team going forward. And expect them to be right back in the playoff mix this year and competing for the conference championship. That's all we have on the Rams and the Cardinals. We'll move right on to the Lions at the 49ers, where the 49ers squeaked one out at home 30-27. to We'll start with the Lions. Now, 
The Lions starting 0-2 is definitely a little rough in a very stacked division. Obviously, we see the Bears in prime time two weeks in a row look very good getting the win on Monday night. But I did call this. I did think, say that I thought they were a little overrated and then that they would be the bottom team in the division. And just like I had suspected, there they are. I don't know if that will continue. Obviously, they're going to fight and try to battle out of that position. But it is, like I said, a very stacked division. Now, the Week 2 performance was significantly better than the Week 1 performance against the Jets. So, obviously, something to build on. The offense, obviously, the offense finally scoring some points looked pretty good. But Stafford just didn't get it done at the end. But definitely concerned with the defense for the Lions letting up 30 points both weeks. Obviously, 40 points to the Jets two weeks ago. So definitely the defense is what's going to hurt them a lot. And when you hire a defensive-minded head coach like Matt Patricia, that's obviously going to create problems. You hire that guy to lock up that side of the ball because the Lions offense has been carrying them for years. And you bring in a guy who maybe can balance the scales there a little bit, and he's just not getting the job done apparently. Yeah, and for the Lions defense, Darius Slay leaving with a concussion definitely doesn't brighten the outlook for that unit at all. And like you said, Matthew Stafford did look better in week two than he did in week one, but he still made some pretty bad plays. He missed Marvin Jones on what could have been two or three pretty big plays. He missed Galladay on a few long passes as well. But overall, it was a pretty solid day for the Lions pass catchers. Golden Tate, 13 targets, 7 receptions, 109 yards, 28 targets through the first two games. I mean, he's the safest pass catching option on that team. He solidified his role in the slot. But then they also have Marvin Jones, who caught nine targets, four receptions, 54 yards, saved his day a little bit with a touchdown. And then Kenny Galladay, nine targets, six receptions, 89 yards, and a touchdown. I think Galladay's the big storyline here. He's definitely a wide receiver three going forward. And with that defense, Dan's smiling at me right now because I know he likes Galladay. But with that defense playing the way that it has, we know Matthew Stafford's not afraid to throw the ball around. I think he... Mike's quick to, you know... Shout out himself real quick when he calls out something right, but he just wants to skim over the <laughs> fact that I was very high on Galladay off this offseason. I actually said that he was the wide receiver to own in that offense, and he laughed at me saying that Golden Tate and Marvin Jones have been there and have been the consistent options in that offense, but Galladay is just offers you more upside in my opinion, and this season you're starting to see it. Well, I still do think that Golden Tate is the guy to own. I think he has the safest role. And I never denied that the fantasy numbers for Marvin Jones last season when Galladay was on the field, he averaged about five less PPR points a game. So we've seen Kenny Galladay cutting into that role. They're essentially the same type of player. Galladay is a little bit younger, faster, and bigger. So you could definitely see the route to him becoming more productive. And that's what it's looking like. I'm not sure if I'm ready to rank him above Marvin Jones just yet. But that's definitely something to keep your eyes on in the weeks going forward. And I will say, it's going to be very tough for the Lions to produce three top 30 wide receivers. I actually don't see that happening. So someone is going to finish outside of that range. I think it's going to be either Jones or Galladay. But definitely something to keep your eye on. Galladay is very exciting going forward. But now to move over to the 49ers side of the ball, I really didn't have too many takeaways from these guys except Matt Breda, 11 carries, 138 yards, one touchdown. He brought in four targets for three receptions, 21 yards. And fun fact, Matt Breda is actually the NFL's leading rusher through the first two weeks of the NFL season. It sounds crazy, but he's the NFL's leading rusher. 
And I mean, he has clear big playability and it looks like he is more of a three down running back than Alfred Morris is. But I still see that being a timeshare going forward. I think the 49ers do want Morris to get his 10 to 12 touches per game, even though Morris did look disappointing with the opportunity that he saw this past week. Yeah, I was not very impressed with Morris. I think Brida is the guy that you want going forward. The brighter thing about the offense this week is the improvement of Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, there was a lot of questions with the not-so-stellar week one, and I did tell you guys not to panic that he had the Vikings defense, one of the top units in the NFL, in week one, and all of a sudden, in week two, he draws the Detroit Lions, and he looks right back to form, and he did really look great. He made a lot of good, a lot of good throws, made a lot of big plays, scored some touchdowns, gave you a solid, solid fantasy outing, and from the wide receiver core, I really am going to advocate right now. You're going to hear me. You're going to hear me advocate this for the majority of the season that Dante Pettis is the guy that you're going to want. I know that Pierre Garcon is a trustworthy veteran, and Goodwin eventually come back and offer you that high upside. But in my opinion, Dante Pettis drafted in the second round for a reason. That's good capital. Because he was considered a top wide receiver in this draft class. He can really get it done. I had the pleasure of scouting him in college. And I really like what he brings to the table. He was injured. And he was still being very productive when I got to watch his film. So I just think he's a great player. And I think that in time, you'll see he'll get it done. He doesn't blow you away. But he runs great routes. And in the NFL, that's what wins. So I do think that in time, he will be the guy to own in the pass catchers on that team. Pettis was someone that I was pretty high on going into this week, especially with Marquise Goodwin not being in the lineup. Unfortunately, he did leave the game with a knee injury. This is another situation that we're not too sure of the severity or if he is going to be missing time, but I definitely agree with what Dan said. He's a very talented player in what should be a pretty prolific offense if they can continue to get things clicking. And they're going up against the Chiefs next week, so you can hopefully expect that to be a pretty high-scoring affair where a lot of these pass-catching options are going to get a lot of opportunity. One disappointment from this week was George Kittle. This is somebody that I was very high on. The tight end only saw four targets, two receptions, 22 yards, and I still believe in the players. Uh, game script just kind of had the 49ers protecting the lead, and they didn't really have to utilize him too much. And he did almost have a touchdown reception. There was a pass interference call on the play, and I think he would have came down with it otherwise, but that's just how it falls sometimes. So I'm still pretty high on George Kittle. And like I said, Chiefs next week. So fire up your 49ers, in my opinion. It's going to be a pretty fantasy-friendly game. But to move on to our next game, we have the Denver Broncos in a close matchup with the Oakland Raiders. The Broncos won 20-19, and Amari Cooper was my lone stud from this game. He blew up 10 targets, 10 receptions, 116 yards against a tough cornerback duo in Bradley Roby and Chris Harris Jr. I still think he's a little tough to trust with Derek Carr as his quarterback, but Carr did look much improved in Week 2, and Cooper has a nice matchup next week against the Miami Dolphins. I'm not expecting Xavier Howard to shadow him, especially as Cooper moves into the slot. I think he'll definitely be able to put up another nice stat line for you next week. Yeah, you touched on Cooper. That is another guy that I was banging the table for this offseason with the departure of Michael Crabtree. I know that John Gruden is a big fan of Amari Cooper's game. I thought that they would focused on be focused on getting him the ball, and they have been. He's been productive with the opportunity they've been giving him, and they've been giving him a lot, a lot of opportunity, making him the number one target 
in that offense. Now it is apparent. We were all kind of waiting for it. We thought it would happen in Amari Cooper's first and second years. It didn't. It's coming to fruition this year, and he's being productive with that opportunity. Now, he's not getting as much support in the run game as you would hope, but I do disagree with my co-host here. I think Derek Carr is a great quarterback to have. I think he can make all the throws you want. So I believe that this could be a great year to have taken Amari Cooper because I think you would I think you probably got him at great value for what he's going to offer you, which is a top-tier production this season. Now moving over to the Broncos' side of the ball, Emmanuel Sanders caught all four of his targets for 96 yards. Demarius Thomas, he saw 11 targets, even though he only caught five of them for 18 yards. I love Demarius Thomas throughout the draft process, but I did mention how Sanders could provide the much better value, and he's honestly looked much better than I expected. Sanders is in a great position right now. He's the type of wide receiver that can play on the perimeter and beat coverage there, but he's been playing in the slot over 50% of the time this season. When you move a player like him into the slot, things come a lot easier. He's able to play against nickel cornerbacks in coverage, guys who don't play every snap and safeties in coverage. They just can't keep up with a player of his talent level. And as far as the running backs go for the Denver Broncos, this has definitely been a pretty popular topic for the last week. Royce Freeman, he looked okay. He had eight carries for 28 yards and a touchdown that really saved his day. But Philip Lindsay, he did it again, 14 carries, 107 yards. He did have a 53-yard run that kind of inflated his numbers, but he's clearly going to be involved going forward. And the Broncos are 2-0 and implementing this dual back strategy, so I don't see why they would stop doing that, although I am surprised by the amount of carries that he's been getting. And I'm still not fully confident in starting him over Royce Freeman. I still really believe in his talent. But looking at the numbers, Lindsey's seen a 40% snap rate and he's ran 23 routes and received 32 touches. Whereas Royce Freeman, he's seen 33% of snaps, ran only 19 routes and has only had 23 touches over the first two games. So he's clearly being outproduced by Lindsey right now. The Broncos have come out and said that they are riding the hot hand. So who knows how long that will last for. But for right now, Lindsey is worthy of a running back flex start each week. Oh, absolutely. He should be started. And going forward, you definitely have to be concerned. I know my co-host is very high in Royce Freeman, so he would not talk bad about him. <laughs> but I do think you have to be concerned. Not that he's playing bad, like you said, but Lindsey has been super productive. And if he continues to do so, you can never die, deny production in the NFL. Cream rises to the top. If he's going to be producing and if he's going to be productive, then he's going to be getting targets and he is going to be getting carries. If that is the case, then he could be the back to own going forward for the Broncos. I do see what you're saying as far as Royce Freeman the, as a longevity perspective, but he could be a one-hit wonder maybe, but this might be his year because he is has been very good with the ball in his hand. And sometimes, you know, he, like you said, it inflates your stats, but then also sometimes it's the type of player that you can rely on. And he seems like that explosive player that can break those kind of plays. So something to definitely keep an eye on. Also, just from a perspective of watching the game, Case Keenum looks great as the Broncos quarterback, and I think they have a lot to be excited about this year. The defense looks awesome. The offense is playing complimentary, 
and I think that they can legitimately compete in that division, which is looking very, very strong. For sure. Shout out to our boy Nick Ratchusa, longtime Denver Broncos fan. I know he's excited with the way things have been going for that team. But to move on to our next game of the week, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the New England Patriots 31-20. to And Blake Bortles, I mean, he has looked solid so far. 377 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. And my big takeaway from the Jacksonville Jaguars offense this week is Keelan Cole. He really is the wide receiver that you want to own, in my opinion. Eight targets, seven receptions, 116 yards, one touchdown. He's someone that myself and Dan were both high on coming into the season. And until this point, he's looked really good. I think it's going to be tough to not trust him at this point. And his week one matchup, I know he was a little disappointing, but it was a lot tougher than people realized against Janoris Jenkins. And over his last six regular season games, Keelan Cole, so this is going back to last year, he's averaging 5.5 receptions, 107.5 yards, and 0.5 touchdowns per game. So he's someone that, again, is available on a lot of waiver wires. Definitely be on the lookout for him, and you should 100% be firing him up next week against the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, the Jacksonville Jaguars brought it on offense this, this week, which was a pleasant surprise. Blake Bortles had a couple of very good throws and plays made. So definitely, if that continues, you can be expecting a top team in the NFL to offer high upside fantasy production, although they haven't really been known for that. That defense, obviously, we know. Again, just to reiterate, is the best unit in the NFL. They are really that good, and they played they played as such against Tom Brady and the Patriots. And that's probably why the Patriots traded for Josh Gordon because they realized that if they don't have somebody to threaten on the outside, that that offense is going to hurt. That offense is going to struggle. So looking at their competition and reevaluating their roster, it seemed like the smart money move that they won't beat the Jaguars unless they have that kind of threat present. So that's how good the Jags are, that they are actually making the – New England Patriots reevaluate their roster and make adjustments. Agreed, and we saw the impact that that defense had on the Patriots' offense overall. Rob Gronkowski saw just four targets. Chris Hogan, he had five targets. He only caught three for 42 yards. He did save his day later in the game with two touchdown receptions. Of course, that made his week. But overall, the Jacksonville Jaguars' defense looks incredible. Back to the offensive side of the ball, D.D. Westbrook, he did catch four of five targets for 83 yards and a touchdown. I'm not buying too much into this. Most of his production came on a big play, but that is another nice weapon for Blake Bortles to be able to utilize. Uh, big loss from the Jacksonville Jaguars offense, Cam Robinson, their starting left tackle. He tore his ACL. That's definitely concerning for the entire offensive unit as a whole, especially the run game. Once Leonard Fournette comes back, we know that defenses stack the box against him. So to see that their offensive line is going to be not at full strength, that's 100% concerning. And in Leonard Fournette's absence, we saw Corey Grant be a little bit more involved than I expected. It was definitely a split between him and Yeldon. So I think both guys going forward, they're not really too trustworthy in that offense until Leonard Fournette comes back. You're going to want to avoid the Jags backfield. Well, teams will not be able to continue stacking eight-man boxes against the Jaguars if Blake, as Jalen says, balls all day like he did this this past week because he definitely played very well this week and if he continues to play that way, like Jalen says, they, they won't be able to stock the, stack the box against him. And that'll be a good thing for Leonard Fournette when he returns. Definitely agree there. And one last quick tidbit from this game. Uh, Sony Michelle, 
I did like his usage. He got 10 carries, I believe, and that's a decent amount of opportunity despite being limited in practice and playing in a tough matchup where they were behind. I think he could, as he returns to full health, kind of claim that Deion Lewis role from last year, whereas Rex Burkhead is used a little bit more in the red zone and in goal-to-go situations. But if Sony Michelle can also get some of that goal line work, he's going to be in for a pretty productive second half of the year if he can become a focal point of that offense. Keep an eye on Sony Michelle. But that'll be it for that game, taking us right to Sunday Night Football where the Cowboys dominated the Giants. And I was very surprised by this game. I thought the Giants looked good in Week 1 against the Jags, obviously a very tough opponent, and kind of thought that they would come in and really, they would come in and compete with the Cowboys, but the Cowboys started off hot right in the beginning and kind of ran away with it, never really looked back. I'm sure, as my co-host will touch upon, but I'll just let you know that the wide receivers for this team are pretty much not worth owning in fantasy football if if you have roster them. If your team is deep and you're willing to hold on to them, that's great, but if it's not deep and you're hurting and you got to get some guys that might be able to benefit your team now... Definitely look at cutting guys like Alan Hearns and Michael Gallup because maybe some upside sparks throughout the season and later on in the season they might turn into good plays. That is not something you can be expecting in the near future. The passing game just isn't there. The one pass, the one highlighted pass to Tavon Austin in the beginning of the game, I hate to say, but it was pretty much kind of fluky. Tavon Austin is a very fast player and an explosive player and can definitely is capable of plays like that. But I'm just not sure that it's going to happen week in and week out. The only guy you're trusting in that offense is obviously Ezekiel Elliott. But on the bright side for the Cowboys, that defense looks very, very good. They have a lot of good players on that defense. Their secondary is very underrated, led by Chidobe Awuze. I just think that they are a solid unit that plays good, strong football And if that continues, then they will continue to be competitive. Yeah, and I really don't have too many takeaways from this game. Saquon Barkley, of course, he was solid. 16 targets, 14 receptions, 80 yards. Ezekiel Elliott, we know the player that he is. 17 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown. From the Giants' side of the ball, uh, bright spot was definitely Evan Ingram. 7 targets, 7 receptions, 67 yards, and 1 touchdown. A huge bounce back from last week. And we knew that he has this type of upside, which is why we couldn't keep him out of the top 5 at the position. So definitely expect a decent workload for him going forward, but in Eli Manning, he just looks rough, and we saw that reflected in Odell Beckham Jr., nine targets, four receptions, 51 yards, such a down week for such a talented player. It's going to be tough for a lot of the pass-catching options going forward, and of course, Odell Beckham Jr., nothing to worry about. He is that good where he'll still be productive, but this offense as a whole, just from an NFL perspective, is going to have a tough go this year, in my opinion, unless Eli Manning can turn things around. To me, it's not so much Eli Manning it is as it is that offensive line. Offensive line is so bad. Flowers is a swinging gate. And if you talk to our offensive line specialist, Mike Bowe, about a swinging gate that is probably the worst thing that you can say about an offensive lineman, he's just letting anybody by. No lock, no doorknob. You don't got to turn it, nothing. You could just kick on through and walk straight through the door, and it's just not good. He's just literally letting everybody right by. So they definitely got to get that fixed. And if they do get that fixed, then maybe Eli will have the ability to try to get the ball downfield. And that defense, that defense is supposed to be, in my opinion, a good unit. They spent a lot of money beefing up that defense in the past few years. And they're just not 
producing the way they should be. Obviously, Landon Collins with the big talk saying that Dak Prescott wouldn't be able to beat them single-handedly. And no, nobody does it single-handedly in the NFL, so that's kind of a ridiculous statement to begin with. But regardless, gets the job done. So obviously, if you're going to talk the Giants, you got to walk the walk. So you definitely need to improve on the defensive side of the ball as well. Season's not over. It's only the second week. But definitely, definitely going to need to see some improvement out of your New York Giants. Now, moving on to our last game of the week. The Bears taking on the Seattle Seahawks, winning 24-17. The big plays from this game were Tyler Lockett, 7 targets, 5 receptions, 60 yards, and a touchdown. Allen Robinson saw 14 targets, 10 receptions, 83 yards. And Trey Burton, he saw 4 targets, 4 receptions, 20 yards, and a touchdown. Not a huge game, but it was nice to see him be involved. And my big takeaway from these three guys was mainly Trey Burton's involvement in the offense. I think he could have had a much better day. He was running routes all over the field, which is the type of move tight end role that I was hoping to see going into the season. And Mitch Trubisky just really hasn't looked too good. And he was just not taking advantage of the opportunity that Trey Burton was presenting him with. But it was nice to see Trey Burton coming away with at least a decent day here. Yeah, the Bears as a whole, there's a lot to be excited about as a Bears fan. They're officially not the last place in the division. They also just look really good. The defense looks phenomenal with the addition of Khalil Mack. And you had Anthony Miller, the rookie, catch a touchdown pass. Burton get in the end zone. Jordan Howard looks great in, in both the run and the passing game and the receiving game. So a lot of upside on that around the Chicago Bears right now. I know personally a good friend of mine, Brian, is a big fan. And the, he could not be more excited, and rightfully so. They, they have everything going in the right direction for them in Chicago. And it's going to be interesting to see how that very tough, competitive division, the NFC North, shakes out. Yeah, and the Bears' defense is 100% legit. And I know I was speaking earlier about how Sam Bradford has the worst passer rating in the NFL. Well, Sam Bradford also has the worst yards per attempt in the NFL. And right next to him, coming in at the second worst in yards per attempt, is Mitchell Trubisky. So obviously, that's concerning. I know he is a young player. We're hoping to see that that improves. But definitely not what you're hoping to see from a team where a lot of people are relying on those players, especially in their fantasy lineups. But just to close out on the Seattle Seahawks side of the ball, Russell Wilson, 226 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. And my main concern with Wilson is that offensive line. He's been sacked 12 times through the first two weeks of the season. There was literally a point in Monday's game where he just threw the ball away, which is extremely uncharacteristic of Russell Wilson, but that was just a guy tired of getting sacked, and he almost threw an interception on that play. It's going to be rough sledding for him going forward. Of course, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league, so I'm not worried about him for fantasy purposes, but for the Seahawks as a team, that's definitely concerning. And as far as their run game goes, I really didn't expect too much from Penny or Carson in this game. But Penny did have four more carries despite them both combining for just 54 yards. But Penny did take that backfield over with Chris Carson getting no carries after halftime in that game. So going forward, hopefully, I know it's still behind that offensive line, so I don't know what you can expect, but there may be some viability for Rashad Penny going forward. Yeah, the Seahawks offense, to me, is a little frustrating because I was expecting a large offensive performance from Russell Wilson in order to keep them in games. I thought that they would have to do that a lot, being that I didn't think their defense was going to be that good. And I got to say, I'm very impressed with their defense. It has been better than I expected it to be. Griffin looks like a true lockdown corner. 
two interceptions on Monday night. Showed up big for them in prime time. Obviously, they didn't get the win, but still, like I said, impressed me nonetheless. And their offense without Baldwin is confusing, which wide receiver you really would rather own right now. And the run game is non-existent. Just like the Panthers, their best the best rush, rushing option on the Seattle Seahawks is their quarterback, Russell Wilson. And that's sad because they did take Rashad Penny in the first round. In my opinion, I don't understand this. Like you said, yeah, I get it. Carson didn't get any carries in the second half. If you draft a running back in the first round, you should just be giving him the opportunity to be that guy. I don't I don't really get it. I feel the same way with Ronald Jones, and he was taken in the, taken in the second round. When you draft a running back that high, just give him the opportunity. I don't understand what you're so afraid of. Like You're not getting the production from the other people that you're giving the ball. Why not at least give him the opportunity? You drafted him that high for a reason. Just give him the opportunity at least. But I guess they do have them in the building with them every day and have a better, more well-informed decision on that. But in my opinion, just try. It's worth a shot. And that's all we have for you guys for episode 12 of the Football MD Podcast. We hope we gave you plenty of information analyzing the second week of games to get you guys ready for week three and beyond. Of course, make sure you guys are keeping up with all of our latest articles and latest content by heading over to footballmdpodcast.com and following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at footballmdpod. We post waiver wire pickups, starts of the week, sits of the week, stats of the day, a bunch of things to keep you guys primed for the fantasy season and just informed for the NFL regular season all the way through. So we look forward to hearing from you guys over there. And we have also recently started doing lineup optimization operations. So you guys are more than welcome to DM us on any of those social media accounts. Again, that's at footballmdpod. Send us a screenshot of your lineup and we'll help you set the perfect roster to field to get you a win week in and week out. Thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you continue to do so, and we will see you next Wednesday. Thank you, guys.